Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Man, I just feel like it's really the divine timing of the Lord um, that I get the chance to be with you guys. And literally um, about a week and a half ago when this fire started um, outside of our town in Redding, California, we, you know, we're used to fire season. And of course, in July and August, the air gets really smoky and it's crazy hot where I live. Like, I think it's celsius around like 40 to 42 degrees it averages for like a month thank god we have a pool and we're getting acclimated you know my montana skin to scorching heat of northern california but anyway when this fire started we uh you know we just kind of thought it was just going to be a fire and they would be able to put it out and it would make the air kind of smoky for a couple days but uh the wind picked up Things got crazy, and overnight it doubled. Uh, it doubled from, I think, 5,000 acres to 10,000 acres, and the next night it doubled to 20,000 acres. Then the next night it jumped up to 80,000 acres. And so we were forced to evacuate and leave, and, you know, we, we thought maybe we'd just be gone for a couple days, and so we, I just packed one little bag. Literally, I bought the shirt at an airport. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going through clothes, you know, having to wash clothes every other day. But, um, and, and we left and just took, a, you know, a couple things with us. We thought we were just going to be gone for a few days. So we, we escaped to Tahoe, to Lake Tahoe in, in California, and it just kept growing and kept building and uh, grew into the, I think now it's the third largest wildfire in California state history. It was burned over a thousand homes. And um, I just got a few pictures to show you because you guys have been praying for us. And I uh, just wanted to kind of show you what's been going on. Today, when I land back in Reading tonight, I'll be able to assess and see the damage. But the fire started. You can just scroll through these. Um, it's leveled entire neighborhoods. Like, basically, the west side of our city has been completely leveled neighborhoods. We've had so many friends lose everything. And... Uh, uh, one of the craziest things that they're still trying to figure out is because of the heat of Redding and because of the way the fire was burning in the wind, it started this fire tornado. And right now, the, the, the largest tornado or the fastest largest tornado in California state history happened in this fire about a mile from our church. Crazy, 143 miles per hour winds happened in this tornado, and scientists are baffled. Like, they're still studying how did this happen, like, with the way the air came in and the fire and everything. So anyway, it's just uh, crazy, and this is what the whole west side of the city looks like. And uh, it's, it's been a real <laughs> season. So this was last Sunday. You know, what I want to talk about today is worship through the fire. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for, for us, it's been a physical fire. <laughs> Uh, but for a lot of us in our lives, uh, we walk through fires. We walk through seasons of disappointment, discouragement, catastrophe, crisis. And I've learned so much over the last week from my kids. Now, I have four kids. I think the last time I was here, I had 
two or three or something. They just keep piling on um, <laughs> something in the water where we live or something. But I, you know, I, I, I've done 15 albums. I've, you know, pioneered a worship and prayer ministry, you know, in 300 cities around the world and taught. We have schools and internships and curriculum. We've written books and I love the theology of worship and I've been teaching it for years and da 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 da. But over the last week, I have learned more from my kids than years in seminary could ever teach. I have learned about the simplicity and the childlikeness and the trust and the dependency. And, uh, you know, my, uh, my uh, a perfect example, a couple days ago, my, my um, eight-year-old, she's my daughter, my oldest, who just turned eight years old, was, you know, obviously they're super bummed because their summer, a large part of their summer has been robbed, you know. And we, 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 you know, escaped up to Montana because I have some family still that lives there. And so we were able to stay with them and... and get in some clear air, um, but she was really bummed because her, you know, her big pool party for her birthday was canceled. You know, all of her friends from school were going to come over, and was really excited, and like she lives for parties, you know. She's like a pink unicorn party girl, and and so she was so, you know, she was bummed, and I felt bummed for her. You know, we had to cancel her pool party, and all, you know, we've, all, of, all of her friends and all of us have evacuated. And she said, Dad, why don't, for my birthday, why don't we just go up on the hill, and why don't we just worship? Why don't we just sing over the city, and why don't we just thank God that we're alive? And why don't we just pray for those that have been affected? So we went on the hill. That was the last picture I sent you. We were, this was uh, last Sunday. This is where we had church last Sunday. Uh, in the middle of Montana in the mountains. And I just feel like this morning there's a message or something that God wants to reveal, the timing of all of this, the craziness of it all. Um, and what was burning on my heart, even as I drove down here, I, I had something else planned, um, but I just want to want to do an audible. And I want you to turn to Psalm 27. And we teach a lot about, uh, you know, 24-7 worship and the heart of day-night worship. And you know, what's interesting is that um, the worship movement around the world, just to give you a little glimpse, I, I get the privilege to go to, you know, 30, 25, 30 different nations a year. The worship movement around the world is just getting louder and wilder. It, it's a lot bigger than three fast and three slow. And, and, it, and it's starting to look more like heaven. And, you know, and, you know, Jesus even said, he said, you know, let the prayer of your life be that this place would look like that place. Pray and live and worship as if heaven is going to come to earth. Pray that this place would look like heaven. Live your life that this place would look like heaven. And the crazy thing is we're not actually living from here to there. It, the Bible says that we're seated in heavenly places. We're actually living from up here to down here. We're not in here going, oh, God, would you just please move on our behalf if you just love us or care for us at all. We're just so wretched down here. It's so cold in Canada. Just help us. Like, no, no, we're living from seated, being seated in heavenly places from up here down to here. We don't worship because we want God to love us more. We worship because we are loved. And it's the only thing that we want to do. I mean, just last night we were in Red Deer and these crazy people were crammed into this hotel room up there and, and the Sheraton Hotel and I don't know, maybe a thousand people and they just wouldn't shut up. It was like, I'm like, I got to leave. You know, they were screaming for an encore of worship. I'm like, when does that happen in Canada? Like, and, 
it was 10.30, and I had ended the last song, and no voice and tired, and they're like, we want to keep singing. You know, there's, there's a hunger and a passion for the presence of God that's stirring across Canada. And people in Canada aren't hiding behind just being nice and sweet, which you guys are. You're way nicer than Americans and sweet and polite, and you drive nice and polite. <laughs> Except for the other day, I was driving up there from Calgary, and man... These dudes, I got in on Friday, and these guys in their boats and campers, they were fleeing the city like a bat out of hell. I'm like, how are you going 150 with a camper and a boat just screaming up Highway 2? It was, it was impressive. Um, but Psalm, so Psalm 27, and I really felt this in my heart. I love this verse. This is, you know, uh, uh, Psalm 20, uh, uh, the heart of 24-7 comes out of the, the prayer for 27-4. So, so the, David wasn't just the model or the pioneer of 24-7 worship. He was the pioneer of the Psalm 27-4 heart that led into the manifestation of 24-7 prayer and worship. And, and the, m many theologians believe, and I didn't even know this. I was talking to your pastor this morning, and this is apparently the verse that's in the, you know, one-year Bible this morning. Like, this is the verse that a lot of you guys, as you're journeying to read the Bible in a year, that, that is here on August 5th. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I really felt led to read it. But David... Many theologians are believing that when David wrote this song, that he was, he was returning back to the Judean hills, which is the place where he found his song. You know, he was, a, he was a, one of the things I love about David. He wrote the most intimate love songs that have ever been written, and he slayed the largest beasts that have ever lived. He was like the epitome of what it means to be a man, a hunter, a worship leader, Everything good compiled into one person, you know? And, and in Psalm 27, 4, he's on the Judean hills and he's looking at the city of David, which his son just took from him. His son stole from him and he's watching this city burn. This is what theologians believe, that in this moment, and David slumps down on the, on the hillside. You can almost see this. And he just says, oh, God, yeah, that was a promise. Yeah, that was really great. Yeah, I long for that. That was a prophetic word that I, would, that I would have that city and that I would become king. And I ran from Saul for 10 years, and I, 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 I accessed this promise of you. But even if it all burns, one thing I ask even if it all burns, I come back to the Judean hills, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Verse 8, my heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away from anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. Though my father and lover, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. 
So you see this intimate cry in like his darkest day. His city's burning, the pro prophetic promises, all the stuff. And he's looking at it and he just goes, none of this really matters anymore. We had a couple of those moments, you know, where it's like we moved uh, two years ago and, and on a wing and a prayer to Reading. And we, we were living in Pennsylvania, the other side of the U.S. And, and uh, then the Lord just opened up this amazing property for us. It's 15 acres. It's, you know, 10 minutes from town. And I have this massive barn that I converted into a man cave. And I have all my everything that I hold dear in life, you know, like my guitars and my taxidermy mounts, my theology books, they're all together. It's just like, it's just like the room of glory. It's like the third heaven, you know, and, and it's this amazing barn and we have a property and we put a pool in and we just, man, it's, it's just been such a place of refreshment and life for us as we travel the world and do all the crazy stuff that God's leading us into that we can retreat back to this place of refuge. And a couple times this week as the fire was just growing and moving and, and, and just blazing through the city at unprecedented levels, we're just like, Lord, I mean, this was a promise. This is what you gave us. But at the end of the day... God, we just want your presence. I mean, I literally, I've been on the phone this whole week with literally friends that lost everything. Everything. I mean, they had 10 minutes to grab all that they could, and they left, and their house just exploded in flames, and they're literally left in such a place of devastation. And you know what? <laughs> all of the streaming for Bethel Church is down, and nobody can, you know, the, all the systems are down, but people are gathering at the church worshiping, and I can't, that's the number one thing I can't wait to get back to, because I hear it is the craziest times of worship, where God is showing up in the midst of such desperation. And we all have seasons of our life where we walk through the fire, or we walk through seasons of disappointment and loss and discouragement. And you know, the strength of our worship is never tested in seasons of increase. It's easy to come here, church on Sunday, and your bank account is flowing. The economy's doing good. Things are great at home. Your kids are great, whatever. And it's easy to just lift your hands. That doesn't require a lot of sacrifice. But when you walk through seasons where you don't understand, nothing makes sense. It's like, guys, the beauty of our life as worshipers is that we'll never again get the opportunity to worship Jesus through loss. You know, the Lord spoke this to me when I lost my father to cancer tragically, you know, about eight years ago. Sean, there it is. We need more water in Reading. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Pour out the water. But the Lord spoke to me, and I was walking through this, just this season of contradiction, and I didn't understand, and it wasn't lining up with my theology, and it didn't make sense, and the Lord just spoke to me and just said, don't miss this moment to give me your heart through a season of misunderstanding. When we get to heaven... We're not going to ever have crisis. He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. We won't have sickness. We won't have disease. We won't have trauma. We won't have crisis. It's going to be pretty easy. We're just going to be blinded by the beauty of his face, getting our heads melted off like the angels and singing in perfect pitch. 
Sounds pretty good, right? It's a great way to spend eternity. I tell people in church, like, if you don't like worship that's loud and intense and that doesn't end, you might not like heaven. Like, that's kind of, that's what we're getting in sync for. That's what we're getting prepared for. But we'll never again in the history of our existence be able to give him an offering through a season of pain and crisis. There's something about worshiping through the fire. You know, 1 Timothy, it talks about, it talks about the fire. When it comes in our life, it refines us. It shows us what's truly important. It, re, it shows us who we're really made of. It reveals our foundation. It reveals our priorities. It reveals what truly matters in our life. One of the beautiful things is, as I'm talking to a lot of my friends, you know, and, and they're just never been, they lost everything. They've never been more thankful. It's just crazy. It's like, you know, they come out of this immense devastation. And I mean, I'm talking about beautiful lake homes, like dream homes from people, because that's really where the fire ripped through was this part by Whiskeytown Lake with the most gorgeous lake homes and properties you've ever seen and people that were in retirement and dreamed their whole life to have these properties and just in one fell swoop came through and just incinerated everything. And yet these people are standing in the ashes of their home <laughs> worshiping Jesus. I mean, that is a sign and a wonder to the world. And all over the world, Christians, you know, in the underground churches, they're baptized into a life of suffering. Like they, this is normal for them. In the Western church, we have a hard time. We think all suffering is from Satan. <laughs> so we spend a lot of our time binding the devil and binding the enemy instead of saying, you know what? This is what we're walking through in this season, and we're not going to stop worshiping. We're not going to stop our song. I remember <laughs> I was teaching in India <laughs> several years ago, and I was gathered with all these village worship leaders. And this is one of those moments where I'm just like, what am I even doing here, you know? These guys, they're risking their life. They're, you know, a lot of them were former Muslims, former Sikhs, former Hindus, and, and they just had this crazy revelation of Jesus, and they just got radically saved, and, and they just, they were worshiping in the temple and summoning voodoo, uh, voodoo gods, and, 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 and now they're worshiping Jesus. It's like overnight, you know? And so they started writing these songs, and no one had taught them, you know, how to write a good worship song, or they'd never listened to a worship CD or been to a conference or anything, but they were just writing these just powerful songs and these anthems, knowing about this much theology. Like, we actually came, one of the first things I told this group of village worship leaders, I was like, God is three in one. And they were like, Pfft. they were like, what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They were like, what? You know? And, and so not even basic theology they don't know, but they're writing these songs. And one day this guy, he's up there and he's playing the sitar and he's just like, just zoned out, just singing this song about Jesus and Hindi. And obviously I didn't know what the words were, but I was so moved by the passion and the power and the spirit behind it. And so I called the interpreter over and I said, man, interpret the song for me. What is he saying? What is he singing? What is he declaring? 
And so he started singing, and this is a chorus that now has, has spread like crazy all over the villages of northeast India. It's gone all over the villages. People are singing it on the streets. It's been like a, a mantra for the persecuted church. And the chorus of this worship song, which is the first one this guy's ever written, is, even if they cut up my body into a million pieces, I will not give up my song. <laughs> That's the chorus. Can you imagine, like, I'm here, hey church, we're going to learn a new song this morning. Go ahead and throw the words up there. Everyone repeat after me, even if they cut up my body. You know, like, that's the chorus of his song, you know. But yet it's a song that carries so much authority and meaning and testimony because it's real and it's true. And even as they walk through the fires of uncertainty and persecution, they're their, their worship carries strength and passion and authority. The fire comes to test, uh, test the quality of each man's work. It comes at a time when neither, none of us will expect it. That's the thing about crises. You don't, they're unpredictable. You never know when they'll come. That's like the story in Matthew 25. That's why Jesus is speaking through the parable, always be filled with oil parable of the ten virgins, you know. Five weren't ready. Five were. Like always be, what's the point? Carry intimacy. Build intimacy. Build a history and a legacy and a reservoir with God because you'll never know when you need to pull on it. You'll never know when the season comes where you don't feel God or you're walking through crisis, but you can pull on the history. You can pull on those years of faithfulness. You can pull on those years of intimacy with the Lord. I feel like the church in the West, God is wooing us away and baptizing us in intimacy again. Not just church strategy and how to be super cool and wear skinny jeans and write cool songs and appeal to the world so they all think that we're cool, we're the cool church. But know that we are people that know God. That when the shaking comes, the world runs to the, you know, the world always runs to the church. Seriously, I mean, you can just mark it. Like 9-11 happened in America. The Sunday after 9-11, 9-11 happened on Tuesday. I'll never forget. The Sunday after 9-11 was the highest church attendance in recorded history in America. There were so many cars crammed into so many churches. People could, there was not enough churches to fit all of the people that wanted God. Why? Because the, everything that they knew was being shaken. The threat of fear, intimidation. What's the first thing that they do? Run to the church. This is, this is what's happened throughout all of history. That in the seasons of crisis and shaking, the world flocks to a people that are unshakable. <laughs> Come on. Isn't that amazing? The other thing about the fire, I was reading this in Daniel in Daniel 3, it talks about, you know, that as, as, the, three, as the three men that were thrown into the fiery furnace, and the, you go, of course, you know the story, the flames were so hot that it was burning the guards that were throwing them in, and even the guards died as they threw the guys into the fire. But in that moment, well, let's just turn there. Let's, let's just, just do it. Open the old Bibles. Daniel 3. 
And in this story, I just love this. I feel like sometimes, you know, we, uh, we walk through these seasons and we feel so separated from God. Like we feel like that, like God is only near, only close in the happy, clappy times. We don't, sometimes we forget that Jesus encountered and walked through everything that we'll ever walk through. I mean, betrayal, temptation, his best friends deserting him, being stabbed in the back, being crucified, being, I mean, the mob, everything coming against him. I mean, Jesus experienced, he is not a God that is far off in crisis. He is, and I, you know what, this is my own, this is Sean's own theological perspective, okay? Don't take it as the Bible, but I feel like sometimes in my own life, the pleasure of God, not that he causes or desires or wants or plans catastrophe, but the fact that when we walk through these seasons, I feel the excitement and expectation of the Lord that we're going to draw near. Here comes another valley. Here comes another moment. Here comes another thing. And I, more than ever before, I got to draw near. I got to press in. Daniel 3, it says that um, King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, as he saw them being thrown into the fiery furnace, Daniel 3, 24, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of God's. What a crazy story. Here is a demonically possessed king that throws three men into a fire because they wouldn't stop praying. They wouldn't stop seeking their God. And as they throw him in and the guards die, he looks on himself and recognizes that a man like the Son of God is walking with the three men that he just threw into the fire and all of them are unharmed. The revelation that even demonic kings that inflict pain and torture can actually see God invading crisis. We've been praying. I don't know how many of you guys have seen the craziness of, you know, Trump and Kim Jong-un meeting together, which is what in the world is happening? Like, seriously? Like, the last two people I would ever think to meet in all of history. I mean, are you guys shocked too? Like, we're just kind of like, what? And I had the privilege, you know, to be in North Korea several years ago and experience, you know, number one in Christian persecution, number one in, uh, in, in I mean, Kim Jong, I mean, Kim Jong-un and his father have mercilessly massacred hundreds of thousands of Christians. The average life expectancy, according to Voice of the Martyrs, uh, if a Christian is found with a Bible today in North Korea is less than two weeks, is their la- average life expectancy to live. And so we've been praying, even we were on the ground there, God, break in, reveal your power, reveal your presence, reveal your glory, like, come in, God. You know, and I, of course, I've been praying, you know, the, the warfare prayers, slay the Goliath, you know, and all that stuff. But, but Lord, turn the heart of kings, you know, turn the heart of men. And, and it's like, next thing we know, it's like the first time in all of recorded history, the two, you know, leaders of America and North Korea, the, the, the enemy of the United States meet together. 
and are smiling. And I'm like, what is happening, you know? And, and, and I believe that this is the season where even God is revealing to people like Kim Jong-un. Like, if you don't have a theology that God can reveal himself to a man like that, you got to throw out all the words of Paul. I mean, you just, just dunk about a third of the New Testament that's written by a Christian killer. I mean, Paul, he says, he claims, I was the worst of the worst. And yet, Jesus revealed himself, I have hope in this day more than ever before that men like Kim Jong-un can have divine encounters with the person of Jesus. And I, listen, I believe that's happening. I believe this is part of the story. I really believe it. And, you know, when stuff happens like that, and you've been praying for eight years, and you've been on the ground worshiping and singing that peace and, and divine, you know, reconciliation would come, you know what you do as intercessors? You lift your hands and go, yeah, that was because of us. I mean, you got to claim those victories. I mean, seriously, you can't, like, hide and, like, you know, and, you know, and, and self-deprivate. You can't hide. Well, I don't know. There was a lot of people praying. No, we were praying. That's us. Yeah, thanks. That will chalk it up, chalk it up. One victory, you know. Like, I, but I believe it. Like, even in the story. But the crazy thing is, is that what 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 breaks into this situation is the fact that the king recognizes that in the midst of crisis that he caused, Jesus shows up right in the middle of it. So even as you walk through the fire, you know the Lord is not afraid. He, I believe some, some of us, he just waits for us to encounter crisis so he can rush in. So we actually open our heart to him. And I feel like for our city, for our city of Reading, we've seen God do amazing things in our little town. And the Lord's raised up amazing songs and sounds and movements that have come from our town. But I am telling you, there is something that's coming on the heels of this fire that the world's never seen. We are, I mean, there is such... I mean, if you've loved what God's done and, and been blessed at all by what the Lord's done in our city, just you wait. What's going to come out of this refinement is, I believe, something that, that, that is on another level. And I want to pray this morning for those of you, like, if you're in here and maybe, maybe, you've, you know, maybe you've walked recently through a season of fire or through a season of crisis, I actually just want you to stand. I want to pray. I'm not going to do a long deal, but if you're in here, I want you to stand. I Just stand up. If, if, if we've all been there. We all know what that's like. We've all walked through those seasons. We've all been through loss. And, you know, here's the thing. Like, <laughs> this is the human life. You know, like, it's like David, one of the reasons I love him as a worshiper is like, OMG. I mean, the dude, like, 80% of the Psalms is literally David whining to God. Like, we take, like, the top 5% and we sing those choruses. But we don't sing about when David was like, the dogs were licking my flesh. And I was dying and the Lord forsaken me, you know, and he went through. But the thing about David is he just never stopped singing. He never disconnected. His life was like this, like all of our lives are like this, but his worship was consistent. 
And I'm telling you, there's an invitation this morning in whatever season of crisis or whatever season of fire or calamity you're in, there's, a, there's an invitation for the amplification of worship to be real in your life. <laughs> There's an invitation not to shy away, but to draw near to the presence of God. Lord, we just thank you this morning <laughs> that you're the fourth man in the fire. Come on, who's thankful for that? We thank you, Lord, that you're the fourth man in the fire. We thank you, Lord, that you are not, <laughs> that you do not run, that you do not flee, that you do not leave us in seasons of crisis or discouragement or hardship. But, Lord, you are near. Lord, we thank you that in this moment right now, you are near. And so whatever we're walking through, whether it's a physical wildfire or a spiritual one or whether we're walking through financial hardship or whether we're going through relational dysfunction or maybe we're just bummed because we haven't seen the promises of God fulfilled in the way we had hoped. I pray this morning, God, rush in with your presence. I pray, Lord, that this refinement, God, that we're going through Lord, that this refinement, this refinement of fire in our lives would solidify our foundation and trust in you. Make everything that has been complicated, uncomplicated. Make everything simple again. Make everything clear again. I pray that you would open the eyes of those in this room that they can see you in this moment. Let's just do this. Just lift your hands. Let's just surrender this season. Just surrender this season to God. All the misunderstandings, all the things you don't get, all the things you just release them. Release the weight of trying to figure it out. I just see right now God is lightning burdens across the room. 